Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, which aims to educate listeners on product industry and best practices to build great customer messaging. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. I'm excited to welcome longtime successful musician, writer, CMO, and subscription service brand builder, Reed Genauer to the podcast. Reed is formerly CMO of Smule and Magisto and a business builder at eMusic and Bitbop Mobile TV, which is a Fox acquisition. He's had an awesome, kind of really fascinating, unique career spanning the last 26 years, which started with a successful touring band created in college named Strange Folk. Then in the early 2000s on the music front, Assembly of Dust, and he's continued to record and, and scratch that itch. But jumped into a professional, kind of commercial career, if you call it corporate, in uh, the early 2000s with a, initially a brand job at Snapple. And then jumped into digital marketing. He's been on a really nice path around the subscription service, as I mentioned, working at eMusic, doing music streaming uh, subscription service, and an OTT video, which was Bitbop Mobile. And then the last two have been really cool around creation, you know, sort of software tools around creation uh, for consumers around video at Majesto and then music at Smule. So he's got a really fascinating background, quite frankly, and uh, to talk about some of the gaps and thinking about how marketing and product work together, what the user customer user journey looks like, really about collaboration and the importance of that, both within kind of how you approach work and how you approach the journey, but specifically like where the the world is headed. And so I'm excited to have him here and and speak to you all. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Reed. We appreciate you joining us today. A big fan of Strange Folk, and after a bunch of years, uh, seven years, full time music in the '90s, really curious what got you going in digital marketing in the early 2000s. I was looking for something um, that felt comfortable, you know, making a jump from a very nuanced and sort of you know non traditional career path. And in hindsight, it's pretty clear to me, but I, I guess instinctually, I felt like entrepreneurship had elements that were really similar to being in a, in a band. From the personalities it attracts to the mechanics of how you build a startup. And so I was really interested in that. And then in particular, in a more literal way, the intersection of media or, and technology and everyday creativity. What I found interesting kind of researching and just looking at your career is this very clear path along the continuum of, of you kind of been on the, of the curve around digital music, video, social creation, but specifically almost at every stop subscription-oriented businesses. Was that a planned path or how did you fall into that? I think that one was just probably just luck and and a factor of the market heading that way over and over and um just pattern recognition where like that's a skill set i had but if i went meta on it for a second when you look at building a band from the bottoms up you know from a in a way that's sustainable it's retention that matters and you know what's amazing is 25 years later because there was a community and a culture and a good product market fit with the band, there are still fans, right? And I, I haven't performed truly full-time professionally in 25 years. And there's an element, I think, to a subscription business, as long as the business model supports the product and vice versa, that plays to that, right? You're sort of like, it's not a one-off transaction. It's a lasting relationship. Yeah. It's fascinating because we now are at a world where so many businesses are basically going subscription, right? Like we now want subscription for uh, shaving cream, 
uh, <laughs> yeah. subscription socks. for socks. I mean, you name it, underwear. I'm sure there's probably subscriptions out there for. And yet, some of the more difficult thing, like if you think about like e-music in the early days, like it's actually uh, a lot of people probably don't remember this, but we had essentially free access through things. You know, more recent time it's been BitTorrent, but back in the day it was. Um, blanking on even the, the core. What was the big service? That oh, was Napster. Napster. So eMusic was coming right off of that right. uh, and offering a subscription service, which was very different at the time. When you think about the customer journey, and specifically just marketing in general, like before the show, we talked a little bit about content marketing, video, and some of the things. How do you think about that in your career, and how's it evolved? I think it's evolved. You know, there's my personal evolution and understanding which is less interesting. That's just learning what is. But I feel like when I, you know, in the the early 2000s, there was a more distinct demarcation between where marketing ended and product began. And it was sort of like, you guys bring them in and we'll take it from there. And it wasn't quite that literal, right? And, And then there's a slice, which is monetization versus usage, right? And really, most of the time, it was the, we'll take it from there on the usage front. And so I think the trick, and particularly when it comes to subscription, is finding the balance between bringing people in for the right reason and then that recurring charge that has real value and that it requires you to work in tandem. And the analogy I always use or the metaphor is if you have the marketing team or the product team one or the other rowing and the other one's not, you just go in circles. So the way it works today is really when you can find that balance and it's like the psychological middleware to row in the same direction and then it works. And really, I see outward-facing media earned, owned, and paid. It's not I see it. It is the head of the user journey. And there's no, you know, it's... uh, I think it's generous to even say it's a matrix. It is just an endless multivariate journey controlled by the user. And that has, that's another really distinct differentiation between, let's say, 15 years ago and today is customers had less control because they had less voice. Social media didn't have the same penetration. There weren't as many platforms. And so it's required a shift in the way that we think about the journey about what we say, the messaging, and about how we work as a, a collaborative team you know, within organizations. How do you think, so shift gears real quick, so if you think about going forward, the future, because you said something really interesting there, which is that we have gone from a place where marketing brought people in, product kind of took the users and led them from there, and that was sort of the job well done, right? Yeah. And now it is a continuous journey. People are coming in and out of the quote-unquote funnel, if you're on the marketing side, or just in and out of the product in terms of engagement. What's the future look like in terms of, not necessarily the collaboration between the functions, but specifically how marketing plays a role or the organization plays a role in driving that customer journey successfully? I think, you know, the thing, it's so obvious, and I've heard it said, I've said it before, but it's one of those things like easier said than done, which is to start, thinking about the user journey from the end and not the beginning. And it helps you refine, like, what are we actually selling? So at a, Zappos is a great example. They're selling happiness. They just happen to be, the product happens to be shoes. 
And if you're selling happiness, you build an organization and a product strategy, an inventory strategy, a messaging strategy, the whole go-to-market that would be different if you said, we're selling shoes. And so from we're selling happiness, well, what is that? How does that translate into the layers that ultimately yield a presentation layer? And we tend to go the other way more times than not, or at least, or like both ways at the same time. And that's where I think a lot of the friction comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I like the start with the end. It's interesting. And then what are the tools that you see kind of being used today or like the things that you would go about? to build a, a subscription business and a fully engaged kind of practice in the future going forward. I mean, obviously you've worked at some great companies, eMusic, a Magisto, Smule, even an OTT play that's now part of Fox. Yeah. You've kind of done literally every like little cycle of from, <laughs> from music, video to creation, which is really cool, right? The, the social collaboration that's happening. But how, like, if, as you've gone through that experience, like, what are the things that you now see are crucial to building that ongoing relationship? The one that fascinates me most and that I'm most focused on, I think it's a, a tad ahead of the curve, maybe, is the notion of collaboration. And so one of the questions I've been asking myself is in a world where everybody is a media creator and where as a marketer or a company trying to tell your story, you can't just simply buy your way out of it anymore. You have to actually create content that cuts through the noise. Even with you know massive distribution, if it doesn't resonate, it doesn't resonate. So it led me to scratch my head and say, what do we do given the fact that we're all talking at once? And I guess I have two 100,000-foot answers for that. One is we need a perspective, tools, and processes that embrace and acknowledge the truth of what is in terms of the market dynamics and allow us to deliver that critical message against new factors. And I, I think we're getting there, and there are lots of different, you know, from companies who hack it to tools that are doing a good job, but unlike the Unilever playbook of days of yore, there isn't a single approach. And I think Steve Blank does a really good job of making the entrepreneurial process generic and saying these aren't new fa problems that you're facing. Every company does. And we sort of need that for go-to-market. We need a new playbook for go-to-market that allows you to customize it for your business, but lets you know you're not alone and, and here's some best practices for solving it. That's one. And the second is, well, actually, just to finish that thought, so, so you have to be able to create content that outcompetes. That's the only way to be heard, is to matter. Because you're literally competing with my mom calling me, my son texting me, an alligator eating a baby on a flip phone, right? <laughs> it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Ten pop-ups happening, coronavirus update, right? So like yeah. if you're going to win me with content as a business, it's got to be it's got to be fast and frequent, voluminous and relevant as I determine relevant, not as somebody on Madison Avenue with, you know, a black turtleneck does. Yeah. So that's one. And then two is this notion of collaboration and I think of it in a way as the new listening. Because if everybody wants to speak at the same time, if you can collaborate with, let's say, a future customer, that is like a form of engagement and it's a form of listening to each other. 
And so on the consumer front, a really smule, for example, our users sing together. And it's the experience of collaboration matters almost more than the media that it generates. So it's the experience. And that really interests me in like go-to-market for businesses. Like how can you harness that same interactive experiential component and the media becomes a breadcrumb to future experience and it's like speaking by collaboration instead of both of you trying to talk to each other or literal conversations, which are strings of I post a picture, then you post, which is you know better than nothing. But it's a new mode of listening, I think. Yeah, it's fascinating. I uh, that's one of the things that gets me excited about the kind of where we are in general is new channels and specifically like the real time engagement. Right, like you can now have conversations. I mean, if you just take the COVID experience in one, it's like we've all now got really comfortable having video calls all day long with colleagues, friends, family. You know, that's pretty fascinating in its own right. So, uh, and it happened in two months, right? The technology really didn't months. drastically change at all, if at all. It really was just how we chose to use it. Yeah. Which is- well, I think there's a and there's a certain port in the population that. That you know, they're the curmudgeons of technology who literally were forced to adopt grocery delivery because otherwise they may not get groceries at home. Yeah. They've been a force to adopt Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or whatever the Microsoft Teams or whatever it may be to engage with their families. And I think that's powerful. And then for the rest of us who are savvy and have to use these tools for day to day, we now got really comfortable with them. Yeah. So, yeah, not, it's exciting. I agree. It, yeah. How is like as you think we talked a little bit about notifications, email, and some of the communication channels, which are really supplementary channels to bring people into content you're creating, into your experience, bring them back. How do you think about those tools as it relate to either roles you've been into before the companies or going forward? Yeah, I think of it as a nested conversation, the larger one we're having, which is a shift in perspective in terms of what marketing is. And I think really because because you could buy awareness in previous generations or even previous years, we thought a lot about marketing as advertising. And I think that's where the shift we alluded to before, even if you'd keep it bifurcated from product, it's not advertising, it's you know, it's interaction. If you think about the media you create. You know, I love the mantra of adding something to the attention economy in the form of inspiration, education, or entertainment as the head of the funnel and sort of winning people's attention and qualitative, you know, emotional engagement before you ask them to make a transaction. And, you know, growth marketing is so focused on the click. And then brand marketing has been so focused on the narrative. And where I really see an exciting future is in the is in the integration of the two. And I think part of it is that the tools are maturing. And part of it is we're stuck in legacy uh, business psychology, like framed against the wrong anchor. Yep. And we were talking about this like with video. I think if you talk to a brand marketer, they'll say, well, what's a three-second video view worth? I think it's a valid question, but it's absolutely worth something. So if 50% of the impressions that you get organically watch three seconds, that's better than the 50% who didn't do anything. That's a pretty strong signal. And it's a way of retargeting them, right? Or re-messaging. And then 
on the flip side, with driving a click, you know, you talk to a lot of growth marketers and they'll say, hey, video doesn't drive clicks. Well, first of all, it can if you want to construct it to do so. If you tell a beginning, middle, and end narrative, no, it's not going to do it. If you make it a big, flashing, crazy, eddy thing, it'll do it. Not sure that's the best thing to do, but it can. It can do it. Yep. And more importantly, there's a question about you know I've seen interesting studies and run some myself where if you start with that video as a qualifier, as the head of the funnel, the emotional lead, if you will, even the cost of distributing that plus then asking for a conversion can be cheaper, right? So it's almost two campaigns: one to qualify with video, and the second one. You ask for the click, and the combined cost of the media is still cheaper because you've qualified your audience in the wild. Yeah, and I, I don't know if there are these, but I'm curious if you, if you know whether the LTV on those users ultimately is going to be higher because you haven't just forced them into a click to buy immediately. They've been qualified. They have a bigger attachment. I think there's two things at play there. One is that media that is socially native even if it's not in social media, but that feels socially native, you get a better ECPM because people comment on it, they like it, they share it. There's not a lot of that going on with ads. Even a good ad that's won your attention is not likely to become a piece of social media. So that's the first form of efficiency. It's like you get a lift to your spend. And the second is what you're talking about. It's harder to read, but you get a more qualified user and therefore a longer lifetime value. So, and but that that's the age old problem of you got to wait six months and not six hours. Yeah. Or even two, three years. Sure. Right. Uh, depending on the business, right? In an e music case, you're probably looking at and trying to strive for multi year. Yeah. Um, and then in other businesses, you know, LTVs much more in weekly, monthly, like Facebook, for example, thinks about it as like, did you come back today? And if not, then I'm losing you. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I think media has that same quality because like Facebook, it's like, did I touch you today in a way that mattered, not in a way that's just blasting you. Yeah. And how do you regulate that? I mean, there's so many touch points now. Talking about messaging channels, you've got email, you've got push, you've got all the social channels, and presumably you're interacting with them. It's it seems like one of the things we get asked a lot, quite frankly, is how do we frequency cap messaging? Because I've got messaging coming from you know transactional, I've got promotional, and by the way, I have different channels. Have we, you ever thought about that? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a challenge. I think part of it is you have to decide what is most essential to your business to answer that question. And again, we had a sidebar conversation around this, but. If you look at marketing as really part of the customer journey, then by extension, your messaging, regardless of channel, should be a part of that journey. And so particularly with in-app messages, with web messages, with push notifications, to me, that takes a priority. If you really have a product market fit and something that people are deriving value from, those sort of messages that are an extension of the product journey should be prioritized. And it's less of a concern in terms of cap if it's good signal. Where you get into the cap problem is when it's schlock. Yeah. And I'm look, I'm a marketer. There's a place for schlock. We have to monetize. But I think it helps clarify if you know the class of communication and sure. And then there's the, all the obvious stuff of just 
testing and yeah. drowning in data and finding the answer. But that's how I approach it. Is first, what's the class, and what am I really trying to accomplish? Yeah. So, um, okay, one last area of topic here, and let me kick it off. So, you've been at the kind of bleeding edge of uh, so for one, you're a touring musician, successful one. You got into digital. Have been in a litany of of successful subscription based businesses. Uh, you have a lot of really interesting, cool theories around social and like where things are going. You've been at the forefront of social creation too, which I think is very fascinating and under just like it's kind of under the radar, quite frankly, because so much of it happens in like these large platforms that people aren't even realizing. Like now it's TikTok, Instagram Stories, but you have some really cool stuff within Smule. Obviously, Magisto was at the forefront of video creation. So what's your take on where we're headed? Like, what does the future look like? Mm, well, so again, I think that marketing is a, it's a very overt feature of culture in general. And it gets a lot of attention because there's a lot of economic value assigned to it. But I think there's a like, wholesale disruption of culture. And COVID really made it very, I think, blatantly obvious that we are a global society, regardless of what our governments say, regardless of what our mark, you know, our like structured markets like stock exchanges and such say, as creatures, increasingly we're one community. And and what blew my mind is like when the incentive is right, we proved we can create positive global change in an instant. Like it wasn't like years of oh this is gonna we're gonna have to have carbon credits and you know we're gonna have to wait until the next generation takes over no just happened in a day and so I think we're headed that way in general as a culturally and then I think marketing or go to market will I, it's a nuance like you know again my mom still says he's, that I'm in advertising but I make the distinction because it reflects what you and I are talking about that marketing isn't advertising it's go to market yeah. And that we'll see more of that. And, you know, there's a theme that I think is interesting that relates to marketing and, in, again, to culture, which is that competition and collaboration are two sides of the same coin. But that in the arc of our history as people and as an industry, that collaboration has been more a greater force of productivity. And it makes sense, right? So, hey, when you get a company that's rowing in the same direction, that has a culture of collaboration, that has a set of very clear goals, you get more productivity. And so as we go to market, I think we need to use that more to our advantage as a way of winning hearts and minds in business. And that's where I think we're headed. Cool. Uh, well, thank you, Reed, for joining us. Uh, you've been an awesome champion for positivity through creativity. <laughs> uh, for all your listeners out there, if you want to follow Reed, uh, his music is available on iTunes, Spotify, and a bunch of other music uh, locations. And you can always follow his musings on LinkedIn. What's your big social handles? Let's see. Uh, my name is difficult. R E I D G E N A U E R. LinkedIn, Facebook. I've got a website, Instagram. Those are my. You're, you're everywhere. What about TikTok? I'm playing with it, but yeah. I, I'm not. I haven't been particularly successful creator. I, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying it. I mean, there's mud you can sling at any digital product. I think if nothing else, it's entertaining. Yep. I don't find it particularly educational or inspirational, but 
there's nothing negative going on there, right? There's nothing to be bummed out about, really. I mean, okay, a couple edge cases where most of the time, if I'm bummed out, it's just because I'd be like, mm, I wouldn't want my sons to see this. But there's nothing that's really affecting my psychology in a bad way, as near as I can tell. Yeah. And I think so. I think that's an example of where we're headed. We need more of that, like yeah. less malaise and more praise. Yeah. No, that's well said. And you and I have talked about this offline. It's, uh, I like it. I think it is a positive. I love the collaboration of music, the dancing. It's really forcing people to to come together in a way that we've talked about. You know, Smule did with singing, and there's definitely some iterations there. But um, hopefully, it's for good, and there's no nefarious behind the scenes actions there. Well, yeah. I mean, the, again, there's no there's no light without darkness. But another part that really fascinates me about TikTok is when you look at the creation tool. There almost isn't one. It's not, it is really not very sophisticated. Yeah. They have taught people how to create through culture. So it comes back to that notion of collaboration and culture as a driver of growth. Yep. It's really cool. It's, yep. it's like learned behavior. Yeah. No, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've not been successful or very active, but I think it is a fun channel. And I'm debating what time and when is the right time to get my kids allow them to use it. So they played a little bit through like iPad and whatnot, but you got to keep it on the down low. So, well, thank you, Reed. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome having you as a guest. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, I appreciate you listening. If you're enjoying listening to these One Signal podcasts, please subscribe at one of your favorite directories. The podcast can be found on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. So, Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day.